And we are live with our 75th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are back. It's been a couple of weeks, but we're excited to be joined by the super superhero known as Professor Glass today. <laughs> um, we'll get into that shortly. Uh, Ken and I have just been all over the place doing trainings and everything else. Uh, so, you know, but we're finally, we're finally looping back in. We've got a whole bunch of episodes queued up, a whole bunch of people like Brian that'll be coming on over the next couple of months. Uh, we're excited about the lineup. We're excited to keep rolling. Uh, first things first though, we've got, we're ordering new t-shirts. So uh, if you come on the show and you haven't got one, please let us know, make sure that we'll get you one of the, the absolute AppSec t-shirts. Um, but we always have swag with us if we're at conferences or whatever else. Ken and I will be at DevSecOps Days in Austin in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to be doing a live version of Absolute AppSec from the stage. I'm not sure how that's going to work yet, but we're, we're going to attempt it. Uh, James Wicket asked us to come on and give it a shot, so we'll do it. We'll see how it, how it rolls. Um, other than that, uh, I will be at CactusCon as well. I think that's the weekend before, but uh, just as an attendee, that's going to be the first conference I'm going to in a long time where I'm not actually speaking or giving a workshop, so it should be interesting. We'll see how it goes. Uh, anything else, Ken? No, just the, Ken, the other Ken, Ken Toller, put in a pretty funny uh, picture of uh, the movie Glass because we were just talking about how like <laughs> Professor Glass sounds like some sort of some sort of X-Men or something. So <laughs> Sweet. It is. So he posted to that uh, uh, M. Night Shama Lama Lama Ding Dong. I can't say the name. <laughs> uh, I think that was right. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Per- sounds perfect to me. I don't really know the name. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't have any. Um, I think we... Yeah, I don't think we have any other events coming up besides the DevSecOps um, that I can think of. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't think there's anything else to really mention right now. Uh, we've been gone for a couple of weeks, and we that's just a product of switching too many time zones too quickly and us being incredibly jet lagged. I remember that week we came, we did we did six days in Melbourne, and you lose. Well, first of all, it's like a day of travel there and a day of travel back. But then you like, because of how time zones work, uh, you go back in time coming back. Yeah. So you, you, when you, but you lose a day going there. So it's this weird thing where we just, we were there too short or uh, too short of a time. We didn't like this by at the time we maybe started to adjust. It was like time to go back. And so it just swung everything off. So we kind of missed, uh, but I did want to mention um, for speaker lineup, this is the only thing I wanted to mention, mention is we have a ton of cool speakers to include Brian, who we're going to introduce and talk to here in a second. Um, but, you know, we've got Guy, who's the co-founder of SNCC, Clint Gibbler, uh, who's a NCC uh, consultant and has done a lot of cool stuff and has a lot to talk about. Kelly Robinson, Abe Bargov, uh, Ron Paris, um, Louis Barn, Louis Barrett, Barrett from Segment or Lewis. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. And uh, I'm just gonna butcher everybody's name. So Mat- 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 yeah, Matt Maddow from Secure Code Warrior. 
So CTO of uh, Secure Code Warrior. So we have like a, a crap load of uh, fun guests coming up um, and we're scheduling even more. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a good couple months worth of uh, um, conversations. And speaking of, let's get to Brian, Brian Glass, Mr. Gra <laughs> Glass, Professor Glass. Professor Glass. We worked with uh, Brian before and um, yep. Brian, we've... <laughs> We worked with Brian while he was doing all kinds of uh, cool things for the OWASP community, which we're going to talk about Sam, and we're going to talk about how Brian single-handedly, at least that's how I'm going to portray it, single-handedly <laughs> fixed the OWASP top 10 issues. Yeah. <laughs> Saved the OWASP release. top 10 from itself. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um so yeah, if you don't know anything about Brian, you uh, are living under a rock. No, I'm kidding. He he. Uh, so Brian's currently, interestingly enough, and again, we're going to get into this, but um, he went from sort of like a background with, you know, having done consulting, having done um, a blue team at Microsoft, ha having basically done what a lot of us do, which is kind of go and work a couple different fields in software security and boost that sort of knowledge and skill set up. And then he's now taking this uh, knowledge and applying it to building courses for, at Union University. That's why we keep calling him Professor Glass. He is a legit <laughs> professor. Um, and like one thing about Brian is he's done, I mean, he's besides he's, spo he's spoken a lot, he's published a lot of good information, but also like uh, yeah, Brian's just basically done a lot of work for the OWASP uh, organization and for all of us really, because we, we all kind of, how, how, regardless of how you feel about it, we all feed off of what um, what's going on in OWASP. That kind of pushes the mm -hmm. AppSec industry. It's the biggest organization for for AppSec. And um, yeah, so Brian's done a lot, and we really are happy to have him on. Brian, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's been a I, I've been watching. I've been wondering one day, one day I'll get on there. <laughs> But We've been trying to make. We, I, I've been horrible with scheduling, and that's <laughs> most. It's all my fault, really. Scheduling is has its roots in communication, and communication is one of the hardest things to get right. So, oh gosh, that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> well, if you watch this podcast, then you know that's true because <laughs> we're constantly it's fumbling our over our words. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's super professional and edited and everything. Oh so. yeah, totally edited. <laughs> Totally edit it every single time. <laughs> like if a student walks in my office right now, yeah, we'll totally edit that right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. That that that, that didn't just happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah there's a reason why the door's not behind me. Mm -hmm. Oh no, yeah. Oh, coming to troll you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, let, let's kind of get into that right away because I am curious. What was the what? What sort of drove you to um, go from? you know, sort of the AppSec consulting slash blue team back and forth kind of normal career trajectory that is pretty common to, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to impart my knowledge and build, uh, you know, sort of the next wave of folks coming out of, uh, coming out of, you know, higher education. Yeah. What was the sort of what motivated you? So, I mean, I'm trying not to go too deep into a backstory. Um, so I've always enjoyed teaching. It'll go as far as you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hot. Be careful asking for that. When yeah. I worked at FedEx, they gave me a nickname, a dash V, for good reason. <laughs> I can get very verbose if you get me going. Um, so I, I actually graduated from Union, so I'm an alum 
And when I left, I was like, you know what? One day my goal is to come back and teach so that I can help put my kids through college. And that was like my college savings plan because I figured there's no other way I was ever going to actually be able to afford having kids to go to college. Um, so I started at FedEx as a Java developer, did that for a good while, uh, got sucked into AppSec because I had... I uh, signed up to help write an identity vault because they were going to get into identity and access management. And then about two months after I joined that team, they're like, hey, by the way, you're going to be a formal application security team. And good luck figuring that out. <laughs> and so we, there wasn't really any examples. We had to essentially try and figure out what made sense. So this is like 2005 range. So there's almost nothing for AppSec at this point. They're, the first iteration of the OAuth Top 10 had shown up, but if you went and asked a company for AppSec training, it just didn't exist. We spent forever trying to find somebody to give us AppSec training, and they would come tell us, yeah, we have AppSec training, and it would be 90% network security, and then buffer overflow <laughs> and like cross-site scripting, and that was it. Um, and so that's how I got hooked up with Aspect Security at one point because they actually had one of the first legitimately AppSec focused trainings. And so we ended up picking them up on a whim because they did a two day class at Sands in Florida and I got approval to go down and see it. So then we did a quick shift and, and picked them up, but we probably trained about a little over 4,000 people over the next two years. Wow. Um, That's impressive. Development training. Yeah. We kind of, we kind of ran their trainers into the ground <laughs> Uh, Wait, was so was that all on site or was that any any of it being like CBT or all on site? Wow, in, in multiple yeah. sites: Memphis, um, uh, Colorado Springs, Harrison, <coughs> Pittsburgh, a lot of different locations. So wow, have it, wow, man, having done training, yeah, that sounds like a you know in the course of a couple of years, four thousand. Like I remember doing trainings, and we'd we'd, we'd be lucky to get through you know a couple hundred and you know, a few weeks, right? So you you definitely took advantage of them. (laughs) I don't don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure they got compensated fairly. Oh, they were well compensated. (laughs) But it worked out really well. Um, But then I went from there. I, I did AppSec both as tech lead and a manager at FedEx. So helped build the AppSec program and then um, have found throughout my career, there's not a lot of people who have that background. So it's been seriously beneficial. And then went, uh, from there to like an enterprise architect for a year and then decided I wanted to understand more about where AppSec fit in the overall security scheme. So I went and joined uh, General Dynamics as a uh, um, incident response contractor for the IRS, which was fascinating. Yeah, um, that has to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we we lived in essentially a level five facility. So it took about 15 minutes of physical security checks to get back to where we sat at our desk. So you didn't really go out for lunch because you burned almost all of your lunch hour trying to get in and out. Wow. Um, But it was fascinating. I mean, just the malware, uh, got to do reverse engineering malware, a bunch of arc site, just stuff to see. You know, you think about, oh, nobody falls for spam. And then you realize that it only takes like a 1% click rate on an 8 million spam campaign to actually get decent results. I heard the weirdest thing recently about that, which is that a twist on us all making fun of like, 
you know, how spammers typically misspell things and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And someone had written an article about how that's actually, uh, in, in some cases purposeful because it like it, it attracts the, I don't know how to say this nicely, less intelligent pieces of our population. But like you the said, ones it's that may be that, more susceptible. Yeah. Right. It's like intentional. It just filters out all the people that have common, uh, I don't know how to say this nicely. So anyways, but you get my point. <laughs> yeah. And we, we would joke that if they ever learned how to actually like, if they got somebody who had a, good English background and proper grammar and everything that we'd be in big trouble. And that was like 10, 12 years ago. And they have, and yeah. we're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> and we've seen I it. Bet. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, you talk about a 1% click rate, but like I know on the fishing, like engagements that I've been on, we see a much higher percentage of mm-hmm. click rates on targeted, like spear phishing emails than yeah. 1%, right? Like, well, and, and it's really just a study of humanity. You're like, mm-hmm. what can I do to convince somebody that this is useful? And it used to be like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of free money. Um, and then they get a, went away from that, and they're now like, hey, by the way, here's what everyone else's salary might be. People are like, ooh, I might <laughs> click on that. <laughs> you know, the accidental HR disclosures and things like that. And so it's just really the the ones that have the high rate, especially the spear phishing, that's because you've done that little bit of focused attention, the research on your target, and all of a sudden you know what's good, what they're they have a high likelihood of going after. Yeah, that's um, super interesting. But yeah, I mean, I did that for a while, but then in like a normal government fashion, things didn't move fast enough, and so I had, I wrote up shocking, like a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wrote up a, a proposal for like a malware analysis pipeline that I wanted to build because we were spending way too much time doing human analysis. And they were like, that's really cool. It'll probably take a few years to get approvals to start doing it. And I was like, I need something else to do. So at that time, Aspect was came, they came and asked me if I had any interest in joining because they were growing again. So after the economy dipped in 07, 08, and they were coming back out of that. So I went and joined them and worked for about two and a half, three years at Aspect. So they've, they've been since bought by E&Y, but it was really good. Like, I really enjoyed working there. Uh, it got me into SAM, so the software assurance maturity model that we talked about a little bit. And so just I got more into doing program stuff. So I liked, I mean, I like doing pen testing. I like doing code review and I like staying up on that. But I naturally gravitated more to larger scale program level because that would impact all the applications in a company and not just one or two of them at a time. And for me, that was just a natural attraction to go in that direction. Is that where you met Dave and Leonard? And, uh, That's Seth where and I Stephen? met Dave. Yep. Dave and Stefan, uh, Jason Lee. You know, Jeff Williams, Dave Wickers, they they had quite the crew. And so, uh, was, I mean, it, it, I learned so much there. It wasn't even funny. Uh, but I, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the consulting because I enjoy being able to take things learned from one place and then go be able to apply them for somebody else. And so for me, like, and I'm just getting back around to your question. I'm just taking the long road. Uh, Take the long road, by all means. For, for me, the the way I like to learn is I like to learn by teaching. Yeah. So I won't teach something I don't understand. And so by signing up to teach for stuff, it forces me to learn it better. I see why you left consulting. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> what are you saying? It's the only consultant on this podcast this week. I am, I, I am offense taken. Offense taken. Offense taken. <laughs> I triggered Seth. Sorry. <laughs> you want to know? How oh, I still, I, I still consult. No, just kidding. I, I still no. consult. There's no. I haven't gotten away from it. Um, I am not shitting on consulting. I'm just joking. Because if anybody has <laughs> done consulting long enough, you know that like there are definitely companies that will put you on training something you don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. So, I mean, yeah, I can read more languages than I ever thought I'd ever be able to read. <laughs> but it's a good trait to have. Good skill. Mm-hmm. But then good I was flexible. I was talking to a guy that used to work for me at FedEx who had come from Microsoft, and I was just catching up with him. And he was like, hey, we're hiring. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, no, seriously, we're hiring. I was like, okay, (laughs) well, you know, I might have an in at Microsoft, so just tell me what you do. And his name's Josh Brown White. He's an absolutely brilliant guy, Um, ridiculously brilliant. Um, But he works, he was working in the trustworthy computing. So if you look it up on Wikipedia, it'll tell you trustworthy computing actually got reorged out of existence in like 2014, at least it used to say that. Um, But it didn't. It just, it's still there. And so it's about 30 or 40 people. But also, like, so I went and I got, I figured, you know what? I love the SDL. I love, you know, secure development, you know, at the program level. Why not go to the headwaters at Microsoft where it all started and figure out, like, how things go? Like, what, how to influence? So now I want to go beyond, like, trying to influence things from a company level to influencing things at a, much higher level, like looking at the Microsoft SDL and such. So went there. Uh, my manager was Mike Scavetta, who uh, you may or may not know wrote Yaska. Uh, he actually spoke at uh, Loco Moco Sec last year about the puppies. I'm trying to remember the exact name of his talk. It was like 50,000 puppies or something. Huh. Uh, I don't remember that one. Oh, and uh, in case you didn't know, Seth, Local Mokosec is a conference oh, held in Hawaii. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, I'm trying to find the uh, the talk to link here, but please, yes. So, so, so uh, is there is, is there a talk in Hawaii? Jeez, man, I'm just taking you it. You should today. try going sometime. Yeah, you should really. What, I don't know why. What, what is this? What is this Hawaii you speak of? <laughs> It's a beautiful land of paradise that one day I will go to. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's it's imaginary. That's fine. Just it's made up. Professor it's it's, it's next door to Shangri La. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're neighbors. Atlantis, Hawaii. Yeah. I, we got it. Uh, there we go. Yep. So it's the year at Microsoft was absolutely amazing. I loved it. Um, the some of the stuff like we were working on, we were working on trying to. Do uh, right, create a static analysis pipeline for all open source, like not just yeah. like stuff that Microsoft has, but all open source, period. And just work trying to figure out how to solve that problem. Um, that's where things like bin skim came out of. It's essentially okay. like the um, it's not really a linter, it's more kind of like a dictionary checker for security. So the idea was is to look at things that you could figure out were un- insecure in one line. So the idea was is you can't if you tell a developer something's wrong much after they wrote the code, they have it takes a while to go back into the mindset and try and figure out what was going on and everything. So the idea was is to find things <coughs> find things that 
like you would know, like somebody decided like, hey, I'm going to use SHA-1 or MD5. And you like have a policy that says, don't do this. Um, then you could inline right there as if it was like a compile error uh, or a syntax error. You could say, hey, by the way, you're not supposed to do SHA-1 or MD5. Here, use SHA-256. And it'd be instant in line develop in the mode in the mode where the developers six layers deep in their thought process they can just go yep that's good and move on um, saves you a bunch of time later so but then um, I needed to go back to Tennessee for family so Microsoft was like they they like you there and especially for trustworthy computing because we'd have we talked to foreign dignitaries and we talked to other folks like that who would come see what Microsoft was doing for security and so it's like you need to be there and, and I understood that so went back going back to Dave and Stefan um, was reached out to them to see what was going on and so they talked me into coming over to Invisium. So going back to AppSec Consulting, and that's where I met you, fine gentlemen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you were awesome yeah. to work with. Yeah. Well, thank you. you yeah, I, I, I remember having discussions about wow, like coming from Microsoft, right? And like, I, I mean, I, I know we've all kind of you know split since then, but gone to other places. But I like, I, I do find that interesting. What like what you were referencing as far as affecting security at a different level, right? Um, that, that, that's one thing that I always find difficult, like as a consultant, it's like, hey, it's very client app and like very scoped to I'm only like, we're only really talking about one tiny little piece of the puzzle as opposed to, yeah, trustworthy computing, the Microsoft platform, that's, that scope is much bigger. Like, was that something that you then missed when you got back to the consulting side? Or did you feel like you you just didn't have as much influence? Yes and no. So when I was there, the interesting thing with Microsoft is their AppSec was more, it came out of their culture and it came out of paying attention to more of Office and Windows and more of the traditional desktop apps. So they were getting uh -huh. into web apps, but it wasn't like, there wasn't a big connection with OWASP at the time and that kind yeah. of thing. So um, hang on. The, the link for Sam, try the OWASP Sam. Oh, not the open Sam. That's right. Yep. Yeah, oasam.org. And I'll explain why in a few minutes. Uh, Super professional, once again. <laughs> well, I can't. It just says comments. It's it's uh, passive for me. I can't actually enter anything in it. Oh, okay. Well, if you put anything in there uh, in the private chat, I'll, I'll make sure to put it in the public one as well. Okay. And I got the link uh, to the OWASP Sam project link there. There you go. Yeah, and you can there's also an OWASPSAM.org now. Oh. Okay. Um, so to, to to answer your question, Seth, so I did get to do some work in the SDL. We were working on revamping it a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the things I did is at the time, and this will segue into some of the top ten stuff. At the time, like for they were looking at doing the top 10 2016. So the data call had gone out. And I was like, you know what? I really want to have like see if Microsoft can contribute to this. So I did a bunch of running around internally um, and had gotten like some level of approvals inside and had about half a million records pulled from internal testing for stuff that was found and fixed and, and everything. 
and then got close to being able to release it. And they were like, you know, you, you, you can't because all it takes is somebody writing a blog post that says, look how terrible Microsoft is. They had half a million vulnerabilities and web apps. And yeah. it's just like, and, and I get it, but at the same time, I was like, we've got to get past that point or we'll never be able to share and learn from each other. And so it got me into paying more attention to the top 10. Because at, at Aspect, because the top 10 was run by Jeff Williams and Dave Wickers, we would get some exposure to it, but they did the primary working on that team. So coming out of Microsoft, like now I was kind of paying attention to the top 10 and watching what was going on because I was trying to submit to the data call. Yeah. And then um, the initial draft came out and things kind of got messy for a while. <laughs> uh, you, could, you could say... <laughs> to explain that, uh, so that Brian doesn't have to, there was uh, a lot of um, there was some contentious there were there were some contentious discussions around whether or not I, I don't remember the actual category, but I, I know it was effectively lack of whatever tools like uh, um, I think it was uh, lack of automated detection or something like that. But it was really what a lot of people felt it was, was like a, a thin cover for um, RASP products, runtime application security products or whatever, or self-protection. Yeah. Thank you. I can't remember anymore. That's all um, I have to which, remind myself. Yes. Which, well, how could you forget? No, <laughs> yeah. but so, and, and, and part of that was that, you know, the people that owned though, that owned companies that were, building the, that software um, were also involved in creating the OWASP top 10. Um, I'm not giving an opinion one way or the other, but that was what uh, people were upset about, not feeling like the categories were well laid out or representative of well, it, what they felt should be in the OWASP top 10. And yeah, and like I, maybe I mean, there I, was some, yeah. Yeah. And I, I felt like there was a lot of backlash because it didn't feel data driven. Right. It was very like it's always. I mean, the OS Prop Ten has always been pretty subjective, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got the whole chicken and egg problem: is it, do we find injection because we're so concentrated on injection? That's what we teach people about. So of course, that's the that's the item that pops up to the top because yeah. that's the most severe, right? Or is it because that's actually what exists? And um, so there, there's always going to be that kind of subjective nature. <laughs> but mm -hmm. the fact that we didn't like that initial round, that initial release wasn't backed in data made it seem very suspect and you know even if that the team that put it together it wasn't done maliciously or it wasn't like hey we're pushing our rasp products or whatever it is it still yeah. felt like that to the community right like yeah, that, it was the was perception and and the yeah. perception of if you got amplified um and it's like it, it just got ugly for a bit um, and it did get and, ugly it split the appsec industry into like two parts really those who were i mean it was it was like a very polarizing issue is what i'm what i mean to say very yeah polarizing. At, the, at the core part of appsec it, it really got a bunch of people going um so for me the curiosity was like well if we have data because this was like a, there was a public data call what would the data actually say and so I started doing a bunch of analysis of the data of what I could from what had been collected and then wrote a blog post on it. And be careful when you write a blog post in terms of what <laughs> might actually come out of it. <laughs> Don't say so in public. You know that, right? You know? <laughs> yes. 
And so I your wrote blog that posts one. were so impartial and so like focused on the data that, and, and it was, it was also very like, they were lengthy and, and it, and it, and it showed that you put a lot of research into it. Um, and so I think that that on top of what it un, uncovered for what it's worth for those that don't know, it was like, I think it, I think it was just so well received by so many and it became such a popular, a uh, couple, uh, articles just because of the fact that you, um, yeah, you broke it down really well and put a lot of effort into it and it felt really impartial. Thank. I mean, that was that was the goal because there was a lot of mudslinging going on and I was trying to be like, look, can we just take a step back and let's look at what it's what the data says, but also more importantly, what the data doesn't say. And so, I mean, because the top 10 is an awareness document that gets treated as part of policy. So it's yeah. got a, this split personality that it's really a challenge for the top 10 because there's a lot of people that take it and they're like, here's my gospel truth. It's the top 10. I use it and that's all I need to do. When in reality, well, AppSec's so big that it's like supposed to be step one. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's gotten to be the rolled into like for better or for worse, you know, pe people have definitely rolled it into compliance driven yep. standards, like around training, around like what your scanners are looking for. So it's like <laughs> you you can yeah. say that that's not what you intended. But once it starts getting used that widely and the rest of the community, again, like, OK, maybe this is sort of my opinion, but I think the community benefits from that being a part of compliance standards in the sense that like. They know they need to bring in folks for training. They need to, they know they know that they need to have these assessments done. Um, and anyways, like it, yeah, it definitely. Yeah, whether you as, like it or not, I know. I believe it's become part of many compliance. Uh, it, yeah, it is. It's a double-edged sword in that respect. Um, but I mean, the thing. Yeah, push the industry forward. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, and there's also a reason why the top ten is still on three-year cycles. Because if we updated it every six months, the disruption to the industry would be amazing. Yep. Not not in a good way. Because, yeah. I mean, people develop training to match the top 10. There's still talks in almost every conference about the top 10. Uh, one of the things I did after, and I'll jump just jump ahead slightly, post top 10 because I put, well, okay, let me back up. Before I talk about that, that gets too far. Um, so after the two blog posts, they, uh, somebody actually reached out and they're like, hey, would you be interested in doing some of the act formal data because they were trying to reboot the top 10? And so I, I agreed to that. I was like, you know what? Because, again, looking for places to be able to influence at a, a larger scale. And so went through and we did we reopened the data call. We asked for a little bit more information. Um, hats off to the companies that were willing to contribute. Because it's risky. It really is. Uh, all the way down to the last minute, Bug Crowd contributed, and they're head-to-head -head with HackerOne, especially three years ago when bug bounties was a really hot topic. And so there was some risk to you know exposing that data publicly about what was being found and not being found. And so I'd like, I mean, I say that because we're about to start asking for data again next year, but <laughs> I, I seriously appreciated everybody who was really willing to actually give data because that's the only way we're really going to move forward to figuring out what, what we can fix, what we can address. Uh, and what's coming out is stuff that um, is really sharing that information. Because everybody has a different view and a different perspective. 
Um, it, and you'll see it, like the consultants will see it. If you look at different industry verticals, depending on the size and the age of the company, you will see different technology stacks. And different yep. technology stacks lend themselves to different types of vulnerabilities. And so there are some consultants who will never see CSRF. And there are some that that's their daily life. Yeah. And it, a lot of times it depends on who your clients are. And so, yeah, so we we got that going. Uh, the thing was, is I did so much analysis for the top 10, and really what it boiled down to at the end of the day was really getting that listing of 10. There was so much more that could be and was done beyond that. But really the biggest difference in the top 10 2017 that we did is we went from frequency to incidence rate. And so previously we had done just raw frequency measurements and almost always uh, cross-site scripting will dominate because if cross-site scripting shows up systemically in an app, it could be four or 5,000 incidents or four or 5,000 items of cross-site scripting within an app. Well, with one root cause or three root causes. Yeah. And it could be fixed in like three places, but there's Mm -hmm. 15 times or 5,000 times it would show up with a scanner. Yeah, that heavily skewed the results. It did. The initial data set we had, like 90-some percent of the results was cross-site scripting. Yeah. Not it surprising. insane. So one of the things I wanted to do is go look at, because it didn't tell me really where the problems were. It just told me that there's some really noisy problems and then some other stuff we couldn't see. So I wanted to go down the road of taking something that existed, like epidemiology. So looked at incidence rate um, within that. So it's essentially like of a population, how often does something occur? So we shifted how the data call was and said, hey, don't give us raw numbers of how many times you see each of these things. Tell us what your population of applications were that you tested and then how many had one or more of these particular vulnerabilities. Because that just, I wanted to know, like of all the apps you've seen, what percentage actually had cross-site scripting? And and at that point, you you lose whether or not this is like a systemic problem or a one-off problem, but that's not the purpose of what we were looking for. We were right. looking for, you know, how many apps actually manifested this issue at some point. And so that was a huge difference in 2017 and something I continue, I plan to bring along in 2020 is to continue using that incidence rate because all of a sudden cross-site scripting got put in place and it wasn't by far the most dominating finding. And, and I think we got a much better picture out of it. And the other thing we did, because you talk about data-driven, is we went to uh, eight of the top ten are purely by data, and two was by survey. And so oh. the, you can't be forward-looking if you're always data-driven. Well, you, you can, but it requires getting a whole lot more deep into predictive analytics that we were than we were getting into at that time. We didn't have the data to be able to get into predictive analytics. So what we did is we essentially ran an industry survey to say, hey, of these 14 or 16 CWEs, what do you think are the two most prominent that you're seeing that you believe should have a place in the top 10? Interesting. So, so what you're saying is basically like, um, so for instance, you may not, currently have a lot of statistics on something that many of us have been talking about over the last year, which is SSRF becoming a, a an increasingly mm-hmm. becoming like the new SQL injection, right? Um, and that meaning that that from an incident perspective, if we're talking about incidents, like uh, 
Um, and, and just like from a bug bounty submission perspective to actual incidents of people compromising um, uh, real environments, I would say when this was done a few years back, that wouldn't have been something you had probably a lot of data around, but it was probably something people were starting to realize with SOA and microservices becoming more mm-hmm. of a thing. Is that, I, yeah. So I, I assume that that's just an example of where that could have yeah. kind of brought So okay. SSRF was, was pretty close there because it was just, it was at the start of the bubble for SSRF that we've seen over the last few years. And so that was the idea because until, and it hits on what Seth mentioned earlier, until we know to look for it and we write test cases to look for it, we have trouble finding it. And so it's interesting, too, like looking at the data, because there's also um, humans are far more creative in terms of what we look for. Machines can only look for what we tell them what to look for. But they're really good at it once we tell them what to look for it. Um, They don't get tired. They don't quit at 3 a.m. 3 (laughs) (laughs) a.m.? If you're working till 3 a.m., yeah, for you. So... So there, yeah, there there are some that we know that the AppSec practitioners out in the field see stuff that's upcoming that we're, the data is going to lag a year or two behind. Mm-hmm. So I'm expecting in the 2020 data collection that we're going to see a lot more SSRF in there than we did in the 2017 data collection because we, we've realized it's there and we're starting to write tests to look for it. So the other yeah. thing that's really cool about incidence rate is it allows you to actually compare um, and merge the data sets between human testing and machine testing. Because the automated testing tools count vulnerabilities totally different than humans count vulnerabilities. And it makes a big difference. And so incidence rate actually allows us to put them on the same level. I will get answer your question, Ken, don't worry. Ken Toller no, no, asked I, the question about oh, no. Ken, Ken Toller asked yeah, the question right. about Sam and Bsim. Yeah. He actually asked. Uh, There's another question he had asked, which was about um, cybersecurity degrees. I don't know if you want to hold off uh, until we get to what you're working on with the new wave of comp sci and. Oh yeah, I can, Oh, I'll be happy to talk about that too. Uh, let me just. So, um, so anyway, so twenty. So coming up. Um, the top 10 2020 is we're, we're I'm working on trying to put together essentially the ground rules for the data call. Um, it's essentially on me. My apologies. Um, it's working out the details. The data call will be in the spring, but we're trying to put together the rules so that people have time to figure out how to structure the data. Cause it's not yeah. like a weekend thing where you're just, Oh yeah, I'll just run a single query against the database and pull it out. So, and basically we're we're trying to do it a little bit more with some more detailed analytics this year. So I'm actually looking at playing with having it in Azure and trying to leverage Power BI and some other stuff for that to get beyond Excel spreadsheets. Well, so, hit me up because I, I, you know, um, maybe, maybe GitHub can, maybe we can share some info or something like that okay. if that's something you're interested in. So definitely let me know. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. GitHub's a part of Microsoft, so if Microsoft's not willing to, yeah. Well, times change. No comment. Who you ask for? Uh, Microsoft hey, our, our has changed CEO a boatload. Is, 
Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, Satya Nadella. Oh, between him and Brad Smith, who's the president of Microsoft, those two gentlemen absolutely changed the culture of Microsoft. And if you want to talk about the lifeblood of a company and the culture is what drives a company, it's absolutely incredible what the two of them have done with Microsoft. Yeah, I feel like we've all three seen the best and worst. So. Of, yeah. uh, cultures and how that impacts uh, a company. Oh yeah, yep. absolutely. Um, no, yeah, so Sam- I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, it was tongue in cheek, but the last couple of years, Microsoft is is a completely different beast than it was, you know, ten, fifteen oh. years ago. So, oh yeah, it's not even close. And and for a company that size to make that kind of radical culture shift is just incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're not perfect. They still make mistakes. They they push too hard for certain things, but I get it. But at the same time, there are so many people there that are really just trying to do the right thing. Um, and, and yeah, I just hats off to the, the guys at Microsoft right now. It's just amazing what they're doing. Um, but also, I'm also working with SAM too, the Software Assurance Maturity Model. So they yep. we're working on a benchmark project. And that is one of the things that gets asked about SAM all the time is like, how do I compare with somebody else? And so since there's actually, there's a lot of similarities between the need to collect and analyze data for SAM and the need to collect and analyze data for top 10, I'm actually doing them in parallel. And can you, for our listeners, back up and explain, like, the important, you know, what what SAM SAM is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so SAM is really cool. It was built about, was it, I think, 08, uh, primarily by Praveer Chandra. Um, he had a bunch of help. It was uh, funded by Symantec, I think, if I remember my history right. Someone will correct me if I'm not. <laughs> and so it's really the idea was is to help people figure out what you needed to do for an AppSec program. And then it also gives you a way of measuring where you're at. So it has a mat- it's a maturity model. So it's guidance. It's not perfect. Um, the thing with models is, you know, they're kind of close, but, you know, they're not 100% accurate and they never will be. But it gives you an idea, like, you know, for the different areas. So in SAM, the primary areas were governance, construction, verification, and operations. And so it would give you an idea, like, where you are um, compared to where we think you should be for things like developer training, (coughs) um, policies and procedures and standards. And you could figure out where you were. And then it would also give you some prescriptive guidance that says, hey, if you've done this, start taking that on. And so the thing is, is like so many companies are so different that there's not just, not everybody can follow the same path and not everybody's going to have the same score and they're not going to take the same route to get there. So SAM 1.5, the reason why I talk about open versus OWASP is open SAM is still technically 1.0. Um, OWASP SAM is a fork of OpenSAM because um, the original author who maintained most of the stuff for OpenSAM wanted to retain the name and stuff for future potential future projects. And so essentially OWASP SAM is a fork of that one. And the interesting thing is the SAM and BSIM kind of, BSIM is somewhat of a fork of SAM mm-hmm. um, in its early days. And so the difference that comes, because people ask all the time, what's the difference between the two? And the interesting thing is, is BSIM is set up that it's, uh, it 
goes out and tells everybody that it is a descriptive model. So it's not trying to prescribe things to you. It's simply telling you what people are doing. Uh, the advantages of BSIM is, I mean, it's a community. Um, Synopsis, uh, previously Sigital, now Synopsis. They've done an amazing job at marketing it. They just have. And they, they being a single company that controls it, it makes it a lot easier to do data collection and analysis because you can set the standards for that. Um, I had the, one question about that because yeah. I've read that and I, I actually read the entire like, I don't know, it was like 60 pages PDF before. And I'm trying to remember, was it all companies from a same from the same industry or like of the same or similar size and industry or was it like what i mean is was it fortune like all like fortune 100 or was it a mix of companies i honestly don't remember that's so, why i'm so asking most most of bsim um basically because of how much it costs to run a, a bsim an, uh, analysis or uh, whatever you call it uh the the sampling within BSIM is skewed. It just is. So it's usually only larger companies um, that are more likely to have a more mature security team are usually the ones that are represented in that data set. So you end up with like the top 3% of a lot of industry verticals uh, are, are in the BSIM data set. Um, and that, there's, there's some outliers, some smaller ones. Well, I say smaller. They're probably still pretty large. But that was one of the things that SAM is different because you could you can do it yourself or you could have one of a dozen different consultancies come in and help run it for you. And if you don't like how somebody did it, you can go find somebody else to help you with it. Uh, I've helped several companies, many, many companies, actually build a program around SAM. And it gives you a starting point and then it also gives you like incremental measurements for you can be able to move yourself on a dashboard and improve a score, which always helps for the executives. And But you can actually get stuff done for that. Um, so, but I mean, that's really the one of the biggest things. I mean, we've maintained the mapping between SAM and BSIM, but they're drifting farther and farther apart. Um, BSIM will tell you what a bunch of people are doing. Um, there's the risk of once you get a critical mass of what somebody's doing, others just do it because other large people are doing it. There's not much of a measurement of whether or not that was a good thing to do. It's just a bunch of people are doing it. And that's one of the challenges we're trying to address in SAM uh, in looking at 2.0 as well is trying to figure out, can we do a qualitative measurement as well? You know, because really, ideally, the goal with Sam would be is that a company can measure what it's doing, but it also can share with other companies like this. These are the patterns and the sequences that worked well for us. And these are the things that didn't so that we can actually work together to grow and evolve how AppSec runs by, by learning from each other. Because right now we repeat each other's mistakes like crazy. I feel like yeah. that's such a hard thing to define is like what works and what doesn't even like, yeah. because you, I mean, the obvious, the obvious route, but would be a completely mistaken approach to say like, Oh, well, we had 500 bones last year that were of this category, like this, uh, I don't know, P zero. And this year we had 200. And, but the, the problem yeah. is like, there's so many factors that go into that and none of them ha probably have anything to do with your security 
program or maybe they do but that's a hard thing to determine it, it, it's yeah that seems you, like I mean, a really complicated thing it is appsec metrics is one of the hardest things period because there's so many variables oh well, yeah I, I mean you start talking about company culture and, and like like microsoft right or you know other big companies you know <laughs> yeah. how how developers respond to security right like there's just and that all feeds into what is effective. So just because Microsoft is doing something or GitHub is doing something doesn't mean it's going to work for yeah. your organization at all. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've yeah. met with other teams from similar like sized companies, similar cultures, and the things that they do don't always work for us either. Like the, the, some of the, pr the things that they, they put into their program that worked for them or that, and again, I don't know how, like, again, it's very much a feel thing. It's not like uh you know, hard metrics and hard data. It's just like, well, we feel that this is working for us, but then it like does not translate, even though you would hope it would to, to us. So it's just yeah. like, yeah. Oh, there, there's difficult. so much art in AppSec beyond the science of it. And that's, I mean, there's, there's so much of a human element to it still that we, we, we just, we're so far away from trying to automate it to death. Um, mm -hmm. We're, we're making some progress, but I mean, it's just, it's just a struggle, but SAM 2 is interesting because we're actually trying to... So the original model is over 10 years old and like DevOps and Agile and all of that's shown up in the meantime. And so SAM 2 right now is pushing... We've added a fifth primary section and it's really more about the implementation. So the interesting thing is if you looked at SAM and the 1.x setup is it it never actually addressed building code. It addressed design and then it addressed verification, but it didn't actually address the act of writing code. And it just, at the time, you know, it wasn't really needed, but when you have now like the agile and the DevSecOps setup where so much more is built into during that point of the life cycle when you're actually writing code that we had to go through and say, you know what, we need to, we need to make sure this is specifically called out because otherwise you won't have any maturity levels for, hey, I'm doing this like secure build or secure deployment or defect management. That really wasn't there. And so that's being added in 2.0. So there, um, it's probably, it should be released next, next year, I think. So, um, but yeah, they're making great progress on it. Awesome. Aspect. And it is hard. I mean, you would, it is really, really hard to build a model and to actually try and account for all the possible variations without get turning into spaghetti. Yeah. 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 It'll be interesting to see how, you know, how 2.0 then does or, you know, as it gets released, mm -hmm. in, you know, in comparison, right? To go along with, you know, the OWASP top 10. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I, like, it, it definitely feels like Sam is a better, Right, like it's a better prescriptive control than the OWASP top ten. Like, let's be honest, right? Like, at least that's giving you guidelines as far as, yeah. hey, this is this is what you should expect, right? Like, not, uh, yeah. Sam, Sam is a seriously underrated project, and mm -hmm. so many people do not realize the level of benefit they could have from just looking through it and running it. Uh, whether you run it yourself or you get somebody to do it for you. But SAM is program level. It helps you yeah. understand what you should prioritize. And that is huge. 
Well, and that's the, I, I mean, that's a huge question that I get all the time from startups or from organizations. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, how do I go about building an application security yeah. program? And I'm like, well, first of all, like you, you, you're trying to start with like vulnerability scanning. And I'm like, you don't even understand what you have, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Let, let's take a step back and let's look at Sam. Let's look at something that actually provides you with a model that you can, you could go towards. Otherwise you've got to build it on your own. That's, yeah. yeah. And in some cases, like you're not even at the point you should be concerned about software security. Like as much as I'd love to take your money and whatever, <laughs> like you don't, you have public S3 buckets holding sensitive yep. data. I mean, you know, like we, let's start there. Maybe. Right. <laughs> well, we got Wi-Fi with like password one, two, three. We've got some other issues to address before we get into your software security. Like I know it sounds well, cool. And, but, and I'll see people try and start by like, let's start automating AppSec. Like you, yeah. you can't automate anything in your IT yet. IT maturity has such a huge impact on what you can do in application security. Yep. Well, I do want to shift gears because yep. we don't have a lot of time left, and I wanted to get into. So, well, you, so what is your approach to building? A, I know we don't we don't have a ton of time, so let's just yeah. give to what we can. But how you know what's your, what are the main things you're trying to to address with the way you're structuring um, your proposal for uh, uh, the the uh, cybersecurity. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, my brain's just <laughs> no. That's all right. Yeah. Caffeine today to make it work, but yeah. Um, and so, then also at some point, I want to get to Ken Toller's question before we drop off. So that's the two. Well, points. I mean, I I think it's kind of the same. Cool. So um, so basically what I did is, for better or worse, this was my approach for doing a cybersecurity program. So we're looking at having both a major and a minor because we want to be able to get some, allow some business people to take cybersecurity as a minor if they want to. One of the main things I'm doing is I'm working closely with the business department to try and get some crossover between computer science, cybersecurity, and business administration. Because there's always a huge gap between the two in terms of understanding, vernacular, stuff like that. Just communication, understanding each other's world would be huge. But, I, I mean, from my perspective, like, the only way we're really going to address security long term is to do it generationally. And that's part of the reason why I decided to stop just talking about it and start doing something about it. So that's part of the reason why I'm here, because then I can now help infuse successive generations of people entering the workforce with that security mindset. So the way I de designed the program is there's a something called ABET accreditation. And so they mm -hmm. give guidelines. So if you want to get an accredited program through ABET, there's guidelines about what you need to offer or not. And it's A-B-E-T, uh, if you were looking it up. I saw Seth's face change. Uh, <laughs> So I was, I was just going to grab a link. That's fine. Keep yeah. Going. So so they're they have an accreditation for cybersecurity, but it's it's kind of like SOX 404. It's just high level guidance. It's not details. Uh, it's related to the ACM's guidance. So the Association for Computing Machinery, which is essentially the professional organization for computer science. So those two. So I took in account those, but I also took an account from experience. So. There are certain, the best security person is the one who understands how things work. So you need to have that base knowledge of how things work. So the program, the major I have is almost half computer science, half cybersecurity. 
because you need to understand how a database works, you need to understand how an operating system works, you need to understand how writing code works. Um, and then I can go and teach you like, hey, this is how you, this is like governance, this is policy, these are the legal issues around security. And then I can look at, like, here's what assessments and audits are like, or here's what operational security is like, or here's what network security is like. So um, so being able to go through that, so what I took was the guidance from ABIT, but then I also went to the CISSP. Love it or hate it, it is still, like, the standard certification. And especially for students coming out of college, being able to have the associate CISSP, like being able to pass that certification, if, even if you don't have work experience, that helps you get in the jobs. And it's, it's an interesting challenge. So within computer science, there are two almost competing goals at times, and they compete for time. And one is to teach a student the foundations of computer science. Like, what is procedural programming versus object-oriented language versus interpreted languages? So, you know, you could look at C and Java and Python as examples. And... So teaching them all the basics, but then you also want to make sure you teach them marketable skills. So, you know, so you're competing with the two, right? So they compete for time. So four years is actually a relatively short amount of time. It sounds really weird, but it is a relatively short amount of time for the number of classes and things you want to teach somebody. And so it's a balance of trying to figure out how do I teach you enough of a foundation on principles that you can continue to learn later but also teach you marketable skills that you can get a job when you graduate. And so just trying to strike that balance. But the goal is, at least in, in the program, is to give you a good, solid, general understanding and foundation of cybersecurity. You understand how things work. You understand how you protect them. And you can go off, if you want to get into digital forensics and investigations, you can go focus on that after this. If you want to go into application security and be a pen tester or something, that's fine. Go for it. If you want to do secure development, you at least know where you fit in the grand scheme of everything and you know what's expected of you. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's funny, just to add to what you're saying, it's funny because I was having this conversation just last week with uh, a buddy of mine and um, he, we were just talking about people who want to get they're like oh i want i want to and this is i mean out of high school out of college like i want to get into cybersecurity, and then it's like you know okay do you have these prerequisites and and it's like you have to have you have to have a, a decent range of fundamental skills in order to even then go into like it doesn't matter if you're doing network security or if you're doing forensics or you're doing appsec like you you need to have that that that's that ground the ground level security or, or i don't know how you fundamental whatever yeah. um to build off of otherwise yeah yeah i was like shaky ground I I, you know i've had a couple conversations with recent college grads lately like coming out of a you know cybersecurity program and something like that and they're like well we want to go start you know pen testing or whatever right off the bat and i'm like do you know if you even like that right and they're like well we did, i did a ctf and i'm like <laughs> no, like, like no one hires a top level pen tester right out of school, right? Like they don't anymore, yeah. right? That's just, you know, that's probably not the path. And, you know, I start talking to them like, well, if you really wanted to get into security, you've got kind of this background from school, like what you've done. And it sounds like the same sort of program you've got there. I'm like, you've got to find your foothold. You've got to find what you're really interested in. I'm like, 
go be a SOC analyst, right? Mm -hmm. Go go do one of those entry-level jobs that's going to expose you to 10 different aspects of security, and then you can choose what you want to do. Um, but it like without without some sort of introduction into that, and I think that's where your your CISP discussion is actually pretty good. At least it gives you exposure to a wide range of things that are in security and security mm -hmm. related, right? Yeah, and then you understand how they relate to each other. Yeah, and it's like and, yep. and to me that's a really important basis. Because um, yeah, really, well, this is I a really mean, good question. Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, no, yeah. I was just going to say one of our listeners um, had a really good question, which was like. You know, in terms of AppSec specifically, web app security, you know, is there much of a focus um, in academia right now? And I, I know that there's the the cybersecurity sort of push, but I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if there is a it, lot going it, it's on. I don't know. It's going to depend. So doing the research on program, cybersecurity programs to try and figure out what to base mine on or how to build the proposal. I've seen them vary from anywhere of having a total of three classes and a quote unquote concentration in cybersecurity to like having five or six classes. Uh, I, from my perspective, I have 10 because there's a lot to tell you. And also like um, Darden's question, like from my perspective, I'm an app guy. So my program is not gonna be hyper network focused it's going to be balanced. And that's part of the reason why I want, I took the domains from the CSSP is because I want you to understand in security, there's legal ramifications, there's governance ramifications, there's privacy ramifications. It's not just like I can go down to the network and crack packets and, you know, mess with stuff at a protocol level. There's so much more to cybersecurity. That's absolutely true. Yeah. There's some, 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 uh, there, yeah, there's a lot of considerations um, involved. One other question I wanted to uh, to put over because I, I think this is a really cool one was, uh, and I have my own take, but I'd like to get yours first, Brian. Which is, uh, 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 do you ever do you think that AI could ever take over security? This is such a broad and non-structured <laughs> question. <laughs> do I ever think AI could take over X? Um, I doubt it, to be honest. The The reason is similar to like self-driving cars, right? So self-driving cars work really well in a world of just self-driving cars. Yeah. They don't interact with people very well because we don't like to follow rules. They want to mm -hmm. be precise. We are anything but precise. And so trying to have a purely AI level security when humans are still writing code and building infrastructures and doing all that kind of stuff would be really difficult. Um if it doesn't, I mean, I can't say it will never happen, but I don't see it anytime soon. I mean, it can pick up things for us potentially and learn patterns. Um, but at the same time, uh, I just don't so much, so many advancements have to be done in AI for it to quote unquote take over security in that respect. Um, just because, I mean, yeah. you look at, look how much struggle, how much struggle we have. Just the between the different frameworks and the languages and just AppSec itself, much less all of the new stuff we're doing or all the cloud-based things and the containerizations and the I mean, we we're inventing new ways of doing the same thing so rapidly that it's almost impossible to keep up in that respect. The only way we'll really fix that long term is when we're willing to actually put forth the effort to as we build new things, we build security into them. Yeah. 
and some are getting better, but there's massive market pressures to get new stuff out without security because you still make money off of that and you can still play catch up. And there, right sure. now there are no major ramifications for doing that. It's very rare for a company to go out of business because they were first to market but didn't have enough security. Yeah. Yeah, it's you always may easier hit the to tipping point. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you see that in the stock price from breaches and other things, right? Like they, they may get punished for a couple of days or a couple mm -hmm. of weeks, but it's usually because they have to pay for credit monitoring, right? Yeah. So there's one big charge and then, oh, it's all over. And yep. yeah, everybody well, keeps it, using. It's also indicative of like security has to understand we're only one small cog in the machine. Yeah. And, and as much as a, um, is as much as it pains me as a security professional to, to say that, like in the world of business, we're still just a small piece of everything. We're just a piece of the risk or a piece of the budget that needs to be spent. Um, I would, you know, sometimes I wish we were bigger, but at the same time, I also wish we'd understand where our place is in the business world and like use that to our advantage. Yeah. Well, and that, um, and that actually comes to a point that Ken Toller made on Slack about, um, you know, if you want to get into security, one thing he, he recommends is actually working on a help desk, right? Mm -hmm. And actually understanding where like IT and security fit into a larger business process. That's yeah. part of it, right? Is you have to know what your role is and, you know, being, I mean, I think we've gotten away from being the agent of no in most companies, yeah. right? That, you know, you, the business can't do business because security is involved. Yeah. Um, but we are still, we, we think about things in a different way than the rest of the, the company does, right? Which is, mm -hmm. which is good and bad. It's good because we're recognizing risks that probably aren't coming up in other places, but it's bad because we're just a piece of the business. We're not a, you know, we're not the major driver for most companies, right? There are, yeah, I will give a different take on that though, because there definitely are situations where we absolutely are a driver. Um, our, our security absolutely does, have a a huge impact on the business and that is specific to grc right like governance risk and compliance like that is yeah. one area that if your company falls under pci or it falls under you know SOC 2 or hipaa or uh, mm -hmm. fisma or whatever the case whatever like acronym you want to throw at it then yeah those are absolutely um parts of the business that will determine what's okay and what's not uh yeah Again, though, most businesses aren't in this. They aren't a security business, right? Right. Yeah. You know, they, they are selling, you know, some sort of service or a product and security. Yeah. Yes, it's essential to that. But if like if we think that we're too outsized, typically you end up out of a job eventually. Right. Um, yeah. You have yeah. to understand what's going on there. Right. Yeah, I, I think I was thinking more in the sense of being a blocker, not necessarily it, it will influence the the way you accomplish a goal, but maybe not the goal itself, right? Like the business goal, but that would definitely influence how you get there or be a blocker depending on your timelines or whatever, just based off of like what what's okay and what's not. Especially if you're yeah. working in a company that has a lot of like a global reach and then you've got a lot going on there you have to consider. Yeah. And yeah. then, I mean, we are finally reaching the point where there are some products and services that the security element of that is a competitive advantage. 
Oh yeah. And the more the more we get the more stuff that goes into that route, the easier it is to sell security in that respect. Because I mean, honestly, yep. any dollar you spend on security is a dollar you can't spend on a business feature. Yep. So you have to have a compelling case to why did you spend ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or five million dollars on security this year? You know, what yeah. what's my ROI I, on that? And and honestly, this goes back to the OWASP top ten discussion, right? Like as much as we hate it, that has driven security yes. into industries and products that it probably wouldn't be in if it didn't exist, right? Correct. Which was a and, huge part of the reason why I jumped into it, because like if that went down because of all the mudslinging and stuff, we'd lose the best foothold that we have in a lot of areas. Yep. Yeah. You know. cool. Well, we appreciate it. I, like, uh, Brian, we want to be cognizant of your time. <laughs> yeah, here. I've like, got just you, a couple you, minutes. Okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say we've been going for an hour and 10 and like, I, I feel like we could keep this discussion. Oh, we, we could go for, for a couple, couple hours, hours, but like, yeah. My class in six minutes would start to wonder where I am. So. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, maybe then we'll we'll wrap it up. Any last minute thoughts? I we didn't really talk about Ken's other question about you know AppSec offerings versus courses and trainings. Maybe we can take that discussion onto Twitter or something like that. I think it would be interesting to talk through. But um, we really we'll appreciate our next follow up episode with you yeah. as you yeah, come back for a part two. Okay. Yeah, I'm good for that. Yeah, I, I think especially as you kick off the the call for data for OWASP Top 10 and for OWASP SAM, it'd be interesting to have you come on and we can talk through that specifically, like what, yeah. you're, what you're looking for, at, at least the reach that we have, the companies that we, you know, that listen or people that listen that are at different companies, it'd be good to, to have oh, that be awesome. discussion. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but otherwise, where can people actually reach out and talk to you or interact with you? I mean, besides coming to Union and taking your <laughs> courses. Bring me your kids. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, it's InfoSecDad on Twitter. Um, that's probably the easiest. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm not exactly hidden. Uh, okay. Those are probably the two biggest places. Uh, if you look, like you can find the, the top 10 talk. Like I, I did a talk at a number of conferences about beyond the top 10. So talking about the data analysis and such. So I think, let's see, you could probably just you search YouTube for my name and top 10 and you'll find it. There's one okay. that was at B-Sides Pittsburgh and then one at uh, B-Sides Chattanooga, I think. Cool. So that way you can hear more about that story as well. <laughs> Yeah, good deal. Any conferences or anything like that upcoming? I know it's the end of the year, so most people are kind yeah. of conferenced out po at this point. Possibly AppSec Cali. Okay. Um, Sam has a talk there. We're just debating whether who's going to do it. And I'm contemplating submitting to LocoMocoSec for like... Once a again, what is, what is Seth, that? that's a Hawaiian... <laughs> it's a conference, security conference in Hawaii... Where all yeah. of the uh, cool people uh, hang out, and it's yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're saying I'm not cool. Yeah, got it. I got it. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. I like the all shirt right. though. Oh yeah, yeah it's our gin and juice. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a good shirt. You, you got to rep gin and juice once in a while. So. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Cool. Well, well Brian, thank thanks gentlemen. for. Thanks for joining us, Professor Glass, and we'll we'll, we'll get hung on a, on a logo for you there for for your hero. So, <laughs> sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as for everyone else, thanks for joining today. The podcast will be up on 
where you find podcasts here shortly this afternoon. Um, otherwise, it's on YouTube. And yeah, find us on Twitter. Ken, anything else to mention for today? Nope. Just thanks for everyone uh, to listening. And, and then thank you, Brian, again for coming on. No problem. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, everybody. Have a nice day. All right. Take care. All right. Bye.